Hello and welcome back to a AstraZeneca episode of the Play It As It Lies podcast. And not quite Johnson & Johnson, though we do strive to be quite Moderna. We're going in vitro for this week, Frank, as we look into the top of the list. The thing we spend so much time thinking about. NFL Free Agency has been amazing. Uh, it's really been a lot more impressive than I think a lot of few free agencies have been. Uh, especially in such a hectic week. And, and big news from today uh, that we'll be breaking down. Uh, a little bit further, but with me as always, my co-host. Uh, I've name-dropped him now twice, but here he is, my co-host. Yeah, and you know, I'm Frank, of course, wrote him. did name-drop me. Uh, but for those who weren't listening, uh, that is me. Excited to be here with you as always. Uh, like you said, free agency, uh, exciting in many different ways. The odds uh, are changing, ever-changing. And we've got the draft in a few weeks, but I think you know it's only right to break it down uh, in the wake of what was a great free agency period, which is uh, what we're here to do. Absolutely. And uh, we'll break it down downtown, uh, right to where we want to start it. In the place that we love talking about, whether it be Baltimore or the slightly more disappointing Pittsburgh, Cleveland, or the rest of Ohio, known as Cincinnati, uh, the AFC North, a division that was surprisingly picked by many to be a runaway with the Ravens last year, ended up being a pretty competitive battle between two teams that weren't the Ravens in Pittsburgh and in Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland's been doing a lot of upgrading this season. Pittsburgh has been standing pretty still, and we both hate to say it, I'm sure, but Baltimore hasn't been making the moves. Is Cleveland the favorite here? Uh, they are currently plus 180, with Baltimore still leading the pack at plus 110. Pittsburgh a little bit behind at plus 350. And Cincinnati, dear old Joe Burrow, is at plus 2,200. Uh, do you have faith in this team, in this division, changing from what used to be a two-horse race of Pittsburgh versus Baltimore? into what could be Cleveland's game to win. I still envision it, I think, being a two-horse race, but I don't think the Steelers are one of those horses. I think it's going to be Ravens-Browns. The Ravens and Steelers are kind of treading water at the moment. Uh, the Bengals, maybe you could say the same. I mean, they made some moves, but they also lost a few key pieces. But the Browns, I think, have to stand out as the biggest winners of free agency in this division. And the reason I say that is because I think they addressed their biggest weakness, which was their secondary. And last year, uh, their defense was okay. I mean, they had pieces up front and Miles Garrett and some other pass rushers, but their secondary was putrid. And a lot of that had to do with injuries. But, you know, now you'll get Denzel Ward back, back in the fold and Grant Delpit. And you sign two defensive backs like Josh Johnson and Troy Hill. Uh, thank you, Los Angeles Rams as well as some other signings like Anthony Walker and Malik Jackson. And I think top to bottom, the Browns may have the best overall roster in this division right now. And that's not a situation that we're accustomed to talking about the Browns in. And I know the Browns are still the Browns maybe, but they won 11 games last year. They destroyed the Steelers in the playoffs. I can't really see them taking a step back. And... If they're going to take a step forward, I mean, you could be looking at the favorite to win this division as much as it pains me to say that. Well, that that's definitely an interesting way to leave that off, right? Because they're they're not the favorite, which I don't think is too surprising, seeing that there is one MVP in this division and he still plays in Baltimore. Uh, but with all the moves they made, I'm kind of surprised to see this big of a gap. I was kind of more expecting to see like a Ravens plus 120, Browns plus 130. Uh, but this gap here is definitely showing value for the Browns. Especially with the fact that the Ravens, like you said, haven't been making moves. They're treading water. Um, you got to love a lot of these Brown moves. I absolutely agree with you. They fixed their their number one hole, which is the cornerbacks. That being said, though, 
They're still the Browns. I know they have a new head coach uh, in Kitchens who, you know, deservingly gets all the praise. I know that their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, has made a lot of great plays. I know that their running back, Nick Chubb, was ungodly good last year, but they're still the Browns, and you got to expect at least one of those three to not be not to happen as successfully, and I think that's the only limitation. And history does send a turf these things. Uh, the last time the Browns were good, they didn't make the playoff back-to-back years in uh, 2007, nor did they do it in 2001. Uh, so this would be the first time this century that the Browns would make back-to-back playoffs. So that that is it's a fact on the table, but do you think that this is a bad call by Las Vegas to put the Browns in second place, or do you think the Ravens should still be viewed as the favorite to win the division? I don't think it's a bad call, per se. I mean, uh, if you look at the body of work, it makes sense. The Ravens have won Division two in the past three seasons. Uh, so I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. And like you said, presumably they have the best quarterback of this group, which is obviously a huge advantage. And you could say maybe they have the best head coach as well. Um, but a plus 180, I mean, if we're talk- just talking about talent alone, then you have to say the Browns are, there's definitely some value there. And you would hope that uh, it would be plus 200 or higher. So there'd be a better bang for your buck. But but when sizing all of these teams up, I think that's the best play. Uh, Ravens, sure, you can say that they they have a good chance to win the division. And I think they do ultimately. And, you know, the Ravens are historically a team that does does pretty well in the draft. And they have some holes to fill. And I expect them to do just that. Uh, and then there's the Steelers at plus 350, but you know, last year I was I was down on the Steelers team, even as they somehow miraculously won 11 straight games to start the season. And I just can't see them uh, being better than they were last year with the way that they ended that year. Uh, and sure, they re-signed Juju Smith-Schuster and Chris Wormley, but I think their defense is going to take a step back. I mean, losing guys like Bud Dupree, uh, Mike Hilton in the secondary, and then on the offensive line, losing their left tackle and Matt Feeler with an aging quarterback in Ben Roethlisberger, I think the Steelers are maybe not a distant third behind the Ravens and Browns, but in terms of the hierarchy, I do think it's 1A, 1B. The Steelers in number three, and then the Bengals, of course, uh, with, a, with a lot of ground to make up to be a player in this division. Yeah, a lot of ground to make up. And, and the Browns definitely did come out as pretty much the only team to have a good free agency. I think the, the Bengals themselves had a good one, but... They're still uh, probably a major offensive line piece away and half of a defense. Uh, though I do really like the picking up of Trey Hendrickson. You know, he was he was a 15 sack guy last year for the Saints, uh, and it'd be up to him to decide if that was a fluke. But I think that's a good addition, uh, along with Larry Ogunjobi down on the line. Riley Reif is nice, but uh, of course you've got Jonah Williams in front of him at left tackle, and hopefully Penny Sewell coming in at number five uh, in the next few days to protect Joe Burrow, so we can see at least a full season of him. Uh, but definitely, I think the bottom of this division. Hasn't done much to go up from it. I think the Steelers have definitely not done enough to keep themselves out of the third place spot. Uh, it should be a pretty interesting competition between the Ravens and Browns. Again, plus 110, plus 180. Vegas does see this as a pretty close call, which you can't say for pretty much the entirety of the Browns' history. Yeah, definitely not. It's it's a different time that we're living in when the Browns are winning playoff games at the expense of the Steelers. Uh, and on the Bengals' point, uh, they are plus 2,200 and. Like you said, they did make some some decent signings in free agency, but even if at full strength, and of course the biggest question mark is Joe Burrow, if Burrow is healthy to start the season and he's playing at the level he was last year, still not enough value there. There's still not enough to like about this Bengals team. And again, they're playing in one of the best 
divisions, top to bottom in the NFL. Uh, maybe next year or down the line, uh, the Bengals would be a better play. And of course, they could fill needs in the draft, but they're definitely a distant fourth, I think, behind the uh, other three teams ahead of them. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I like what they're doing, but this is a, a team we'll see more of in the future. You were saying a pretty interesting point. You know, the, the Browns taking over Steelers' playoff spots are, you know, you wouldn't have thought that for the last 10 years, but it's looking like that other places in the AFC as well, where the Patriots, who didn't win the division for the first time in a long time last year, as well as didn't make the playoffs, uh, are currently still not predicted to be anywhere close to doing either of those, as they are far from the favorites in their own division. Uh, we've got the Patriots at plus 333, who are in second place by a hair. Uh, ahead of the Dolphins at plus 350, but who's in the front? Well, who would you know? It's Josh Allen and the Bills, minus 150. Uh, the lastly, of course, is Jets and uh, future number two overall pick quarterback, whoever that may be, plus 2,100. Uh, this is an interesting division, and I know we've been talking about a lot off-air, but this very quietly could be the best division in football next year um, with... All the Patriots have done a free agency, the, the great splurge that they've done uh, within the span of the first two days of free agencies. And then, of course, the Dolphins. I know you love this team. I know you love this coach. I know a lot of the moves that they've done that we can get to in a few seconds. But where do you think the future of this division is? Because absolutely, it lies with the Bills and, and the team that just went to the AFC Championship. But at their tail, I think, are two of the more talented, younger, great coach teams in the NFL. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And it is interesting because... For years on years, I mean, really for the better part of the past two decades, the AFC East has been a division with one playoff team, and one playoff team only, that being the Patriots, and everyone else was just kind of there. It was frankly a miracle if any other team finished 500 or better. And now you could be looking at three teams vying for being legitimate playoff contenders with the Bills, Dolphins, and Patriots. The Bills at minus 150, I understand why why they're a minus 150 favorite. I mean, they were, after all, a 13-win team last year and easily the best team in this division. But between the Dolphins and Patriots both, I think there is a legitimate case to say that this division could be potentially up in the air. And I think the argument would be the Bills just naturally taking a step back, maybe some regression to the mean is in order. And I think the comparison would be uh, with the Ravens from two years ago when they went on that miraculous run and won 14 games, took the league by storm. And we saw this next, we saw this past season. Uh, not everything is always going to go your way. And you'll have some injuries and teams will start to catch up with what you're doing. And I'm not saying I don't believe in the Bills to be the favorite in this division or to be a double digit win team. But they haven't had a tremendous free agency period, whereas the Patriots and Dolphins, I think, have made some legitimate moves that could vault them into that next category. So at plus 350 for Miami, at plus 333 for the Patriots, uh, maybe it could, you know, develop into a bit of a three-horse race as opposed to the Bills being the lone favorite. Uh, as they were last year. certainly could be, and we're moving on from a two-horse race to a three-horse race in this division. And I, I don't know, I think this is the worst call I think we might talk about all day, with the Bills being minus 150 favorites. Ask, those two teams easily could win the division. I don't think anyone would be surprised if by the end of the season we're talking about the Dolphins as division winners, nor would anyone be surprised with the Patriots picking up their 21st division title in 22 years. 
Uh, I just think that the additions they made, especially on the defensive side with Matthew Judon and Kyle Van Noor, bringing him back is huge, I think. Uh, he might not have been that great for the Dolphins missing out in six games, but his leadership and the presence that he brings back to New England is going to be huge. Uh, they're also obviously bringing back Dante Hightower from the COVID reserve because he didn't play all of last year. Uh, they, they've just made insane moves. Uh, whether that offense gets going, it's a big question. I think Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith should definitely help with Cam. Uh, that's a lot of big guys you got to deal with. I don't know if I'm a defensive player that has to think about dealing with 6'6 Cam, Cam Newton along with the gigantic presence that is Johnny Smith, also while dealing with the, fe- the fast feet that comes with Hunter Henry, all on top of having to think about the 1,000 running backs that they have in that stable. I don't know. I think that's, that's an imposing offense. I don't know if it's going to work on paper, especially with the question around Cam at the moment, but I'm sold on these Patriots. I, I watched Endgame recently. I don't know if you've, uh, you've seen it. In the, of course, in the past of course. Time. You remember, you remember, you remember the scene where they, where they got uh, Thanos by the head, and all all Star Lord has to do is kill him. That was last year. We missed out on our chance. Somehow, some way, we needed to end the Patriots as a franchise last year. They missed the playoffs. They took that step back. But Frank, let me tell you, Bill Belichick, he's inevitable. And uh, this team making the playoffs, I personally think inevitability. The Dolphins, tight competitor. I love what they've done in the offensive side of the ball. Will Fuller, I think, is one of the most underrated signings of all of free agency, and. Well, we haven't talked about it now, but now let's get to that breaking news. The Dolphins, who did originally have the number three pick thanks to Larry Tunsil trade with the Texans, uh, sent that pick to the Niners for the number 12 pick along with a first rounder and a third rounder, uh, and then turned that that 12th pick into the sixth pick thanks to a future first rounder and a fifth rounder. And they also got a sixth in that one. Uh, So they've turned pretty much Loremi Tunsil into the number six overall pick, a future first rounder, and a future third rounder in exchange for Loremi Tunsil and a first. What are they going to do with that six? Well, Frank, if we uh, do a little quick early mock drafting, it's currently looking like it's going to go quarterback, 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 leaving just two teams ahead of the Dolphins at six. That's going to be Cincinnati and Atlanta. Atlanta's a wild card. We don't know what they're going to do. Cincinnati probably taking an offensive lineman. Penny Sewell, looking forward to that one. Number six could be Kyle Pitts, and that offense could be insane. It definitely could if the board falls that way. And that's a good segue into, I guess, another argument for the Dolphins and Patriots being legitimate sleepers in this division is that both of those teams, the Dolphins especially, and both of them compared to the Patriots, with the draft coming up, they are in a much better position to continue improving their roster upon what it is right now. Because the Bills, of course, they're going to be picking way late in the first round. And that means they're going to be picking way late in every round. In the Dolphins, thanks to their pretty impressive front office maneuvering over the better part of the past two years, they're once again well positioned with a boatload of early picks in this draft to make some legitimate moves and make some real inroads adding talent to their roster. And if they do add an offensive weapon like a Kyle Pitts or one of the top receivers, you're looking at a pretty impressive supporting cast around Tua that features Mike, Mike Gusecki, whoever their first round pick will be. Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, that's a strong supporting cast. And between that and Miami and what the Patriots did, adding a flurry of offensive weapons to their arsenal, it really just comes down to the quarterback position for both Miami and New England. Uh, Between Tua and Cam Newton, I think whichever one of those players is more reliable and more consistent throughout the season, you could see them maybe challenging the Bills in this division. And it's going to come down to that it's going to come down on the shoulders, really, of those two quarterbacks because I think top to bottom, Miami and New England, 
with the way their rosters look right now, especially with the draft coming up, there's not really all that many holes. And I think, I think in a vacuum, you could put either of those rosters next to Buffalo's and say that it's somewhat even. The only advantage the Bills have decisively is Josh Allen. So the quarterback position is the one to watch uh, in all divisions, of course, but especially in this one. Uh, especially with the rookie quarterback going in the gang green as well to add on that list. Uh, the Patriots-Dolphins pretty much essentially uh, similar for odds-wise. I know we're not going into our predictions just yet, Frank, but uh, would you be taking either of those compared to the Bills minus 150? Yeah, again, I mean, we, we just talked about how we, we think it could develop into a bit of a three-horse race. And plus 330, plus 333 for the Patriots is is worth a flyer for sure. I mean, Bill Belichick, you can't bet against him. But I think out of all of these, uh, the Dolphins at plus 350 would probably be the one that I would lean towards the most. Uh, they won 10 games last year. I think they're, they're not going to get any worse. I expect them to be better. They narrowly missed out on the playoff last year literally just by the by one game at the end of the season. So I think maybe they kind of have a bit of a bad taste in their mouth. Brian Flores and this young team will be hungry to get to that postseason and get over the hump. And uh, Jets plus 2,100. Uh, not sure about you, but that is a number I'm staying far, far away from. Far, 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 far from. Three words for you, Frank. Bill Belichick, inevitable. 333, easy money right there. Let's move on to another division uh, where I think all four teams might be the worst in the league. Yeah, that's right. We're going from what could possibly be the dark horse best division in football to what I think is going to be 100% the worst division in football. That's right. Everyone's favorite, the AFC South. We got to think of a creative uh, creative little name for that one after the NFC least from last year. Uh, but we've got the Titans here at plus 125, the Colts at minus 105, the Texans at plus 1,400. And the Jaguars at plus 1,200. Frank, I would usually have a little spiffy intro here, but uh, I don't want to talk about any of these teams. So go ahead and talk about a division where uh, all of these teams are ass. Yeah, well, you talk about a two-horse race, and I think that's exactly uh, what this division is. Uh, That's what it was last year. That's what we thought it would be uh, when we were talking about our predictions around this same time. And it's the Colts and Titans, and then it's the Texans and Jaguars. And I think there's a pretty substantial gap uh, between those four teams. And the Colts are minus 105. The Titans are plus 125. And I agree with that. But the caveat, I think, is I'm not so sure that the gap between the Titans and Colts is going to be as narrow as it was last year. And the Titans won the division with the Colts just falling a few games behind. And I think the script could flip a little bit. The Colts didn't do all that much to get better. This offseason, they, they kind of treaded water, like we said, with the AFC North. Uh, and they're really just going to be relying on Carson Wentz. And it's pretty much the same conversation we were having with Phillip Rivers last year. This Colts roster, it's a playoff roster. And I think it's a roster good enough to win a playoff game. It really just comes down to, is Carson Wentz going to win or lose this team football games? Because we've seen two versions of Wentz over his career. The borderline MVP caliber player of a few years ago. And then last year's version of Wentz, which was one of, if not the worst starting quarterback in the NFL. So before I move on to the Titans, Rodham, you've had your differences with this Colts team. Uh, They're well documented. But on the Wentz conversation, uh, do you think he's better or worse than what Phillip Rivers was last year? 
And how do you think that's going to play out in terms of the Colts' aspirations heading into the 2021 season? I think the Colts' aspirations should move. I think that needle should stick. We want to win the division. At the very least, we want to make the playoffs. And we'll see if we can be a Super Bowl-caliber team. I don't think they've budged the needle in either direction to lose that stance or win that stance. But, like you said, it all depends on Phillip Rivers whether that becomes true, whether they can win the division. If, if, if Carson Wentz somehow has an MVP-type caliber, 2018-type season, I mean, this, this is a Super Bowl team. And I, you know I hate to say that. The, the fans who've been listening for the, the year know that I've despised this Colts team with a passion, but it's mostly because of Phillip Rivers. Not that I'm a big Carson Wentz fan either. Uh, I don't want to see him winning. But the issue, the true issue with how far they should be scoping themselves is the fact that no one else in this division should be challenging them. I think they have made good signings. You bring up a great point. This team will be destined by how far... Carson Wentz can take them, but that's only in the playoffs. This team should have the division locked up, I think, by week 13, because I don't think anyone else in this division inspires enough hope. Like you said, the Texans and Jaguars are too far away to contend, even if they have surprisingly good seasons. I think their ceilings are single-digit 9-7, and 9-8. And and even that might be generous. That, that might be generous. And even that might be generous. It, it really is, and that's true. And the Jaguars have a good uh, offseason. I don't think we're going to get to it later. So, you know, a little Shaquille Griffin here, a little Marvin Jones there. Uh, Philip Dorsett, Jihad Ward, Carlos Hyde. You know, some solid pickups, not a lot losing much. The Texans similarly, Philip Lindsay, Tyrod Taylor, Desmond King, Christian Kirksey. Like, good pickups, but nothing to budge the needle to the position where they're competing for the division. The Colts, on the other hand, have made those pickups like you already mentioned, and it's just their Titans, the competitors, the one you were about to get to. What have they done? What have they done? They've lost to Dory Jackson, Malcolm Butler, already on a, a very poor cornerback, and they replaced them with Janoris Jenkins, who's quite old and didn't have a great season last year, along with Kevin Johnson, the third corner from the Chargers last year. So, at the very least, even if you're the most optimistic Titans fan, you've made a lateral move in the secondary, which was already the weakest position on your defense. On top of that, you've paid $34 million for Bud Dupree to do what he did last season is such an exaggeration to believe that what he can do by, by himself as a solo man along with Harold Landry, it's not going to work out the same as when you have Defensive Player of the Year, the guy who at least should have won Defensive Player of the Year, TJ Watt, across the line from you, along with such an insane talent behind you in that Pittsburgh front seven. He is not going to be that level of player, and I think that that overpay alone is going to tank that defense. And then on top of that, the offense that they were so heralded for last year just lost its captain in Arthur Smith, the new head coach of the Falcons, and they lost John U. Smith in New England. And they lost their number two cornerback and their number th they lost their number two wide receiver and their number three wide receiver in Adam Humphreys and Corey Davis. I think this is a team that is prepared and should be prepared to not be in this conversation for the division and should, at the very least, maybe sniff 500. I think the Titans are going to be absolutely ass this year. I think the Titans are not going to be very good this year. I think they're going to be pretty miserable compared to last year. Uh, obviously, there's injury concern for Derrick Henry as well. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, will he be able to be a top 10 quarterback again without that Arthur Smith, without all that play action? I just think there's too many question marks, and I really hate to say it, but I think just how bad this Titans team could be, crown them now. Colts, minus 105, I'd put my money down on it. I'd put quite a lot on it, because who else is taking it from? Right, that's the biggest question, and if anyone's going to be able to challenge the Colts in this division, of course it would be the Titans, but I agree, and disagree with you to a certain extent. Um, I agree that I don't think the Titans are going to be a legitimate 1B to the Colts 1A. 
uh, next season as things currently stand. But I don't, I'm not quite as down on Tennessee as you are. Uh, I still think they have the capacity to pull out nine wins, but I think that's their ceiling. And when you look at a team like the Colts, I mean, they won 11 games last year. Presumably, they don't get any worse. I mean, their ceiling is, again, probably 11, maybe even 12 wins. So when it shakes down, Colts have a higher ceiling, and I would say a higher floor, whereas the Titans have a lower ceiling and also a lower floor. That's not a recipe for the Titans winning this division. And you mentioned it. This free agency has been a bit of a roller coaster for them. I mean, they've quietly lost, uh, maybe even you could say decimated. They've been decimated by losing a lot of key players from the past two seasons that have really propelled them to back-to-back playoff appearances. And they've made some moves that you glossed over to replace the players that they lost. But the biggest thing working against them, and you hit the nail on the head, is Arthur Smith. Just extremely underrated in the Titans' success over the past two seasons. And Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, they've gotten the majority of the credit, and maybe for good reason, but Arthur Smith was the guy who pushed all the right buttons. I mean, the play-action passing game that he designed around Derrick Henry really unlocked the best of Ryan Tannehill and the best of this offense uh, as a whole. And it's the reason that he got himself the head coaching position. And that's good because I think he deserves it. I think he's he's a top five play caller in the in the NFL. But I, I'm highly skeptical of whether or not the Titans can replicate their same offensive offensive success that they've had. And frankly, like you, I'm doubtful of it. And they didn't have a great defense last year. The offense was really kind of holding them up. And if the defense is no better and the offense is worse, I don't think the plus 125 is a great play. And I agree with you uh, that the Colts should be the favorite to win this division. That's why they are the favorite to win this division. And Texans and Jaguars are just looking up at everybody else. They are looking up, uh, but hopefully looking up in the future. Uh, Obviously, number one overall pick is coming to this division. So maybe there'll be some interest to watch the Jaguars. But yeah. I don't know. If you're not watching Indy, I think you're making a mistake if you're watching one of these games in the division. And even if you're watching Indianapolis, really, what, what are you watching? Carson Wentz? But let's move on, finish off with the AFC. A little bit of a quickie, because this is a division that we've known who's going to win since uh, since a certain man stepped on the field just about three years ago, gapped himself an MVP, a Super Bowl MVP, and all of the fixing in between. That's, of course, the most recent Super Bowl loser. The Kansas City Chiefs currently favored to win their own division at minus 350. Questionable moves in KC, though, maybe is enough to displace them. Uh, We'll talk about that, of course, with the Raiders behind them at plus 1,300. No, they're not getting the Raiders treatment this year because... That's that's canceled. Uh, Retired forever. It's been canceled until uh, further notice. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Behind them is the Chargers at plus 450. Uh, the Broncos there at last at plus 1,500. Hey, maybe it'll be the year in miles in the mile high when they don't place last in the division. Frank, is there anything about any of these teams' free agencies that's telling you that the Kansas City Chiefs are not winning this division? I don't think so. Uh, not in the slightest. I mean, really the only thing that you could say is that the Chiefs would maybe self-destruct or maybe take a step back because they did. Uh, they are losing guys like Sammy Watkins and Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher. But if any team is deserves the benefit of the doubt in overcoming losses and specifically design losses because they released both of their starting tackles, uh, that team has to be the Chiefs. And you have to imagine that they're going to be even more motivated now than they were before because they are coming off that uh, embarrassing loss in the Super Bowl. 
But to answer your first question, between the Raiders, Chargers, and Broncos, it's really, again, everyone's looking up at Kansas City. And the only question is, how is the pecking order going to play out between those three teams and whether or not any of them can challenge in this division for a wild card playoff spot? And the Chargers are plus 433, and I get why they're a heavy favorite as opposed to the Raiders and the Broncos, but I'm not so sure there's all that much separating these three teams, frankly. I mean, if you look at the standings last year, Raiders won eight games, Chargers won seven games, but it took a, a pretty, it took a string of victories at the end of the season for them to even get close to 500. And you have the Broncos at five and 11, but they had a lot of injuries throughout the year, so maybe they could be better than they were last year, but I understand the Chargers being favorited, being the second favorited team in this division, but does it even matter? I mean, I don't see any of these teams really being a legitimate playoff contender unless one of them absolutely hits out of the park in the draft, which is possible, but based on what we've seen in free agency, uh, I don't see it happening, unless you disagree with me. I don't disagree at all in how it's going to play out. I do think so far... The Raiders have had the best free agency in the division. Uh, they've gone kind of laterally on some of these moves, turning Nelson Aguilar and Tyrell Williams into Willie Sneed and John Brown isn't much of a difference. Uh, they did improve from Tack McKinley into both Solomon Thomas and Yannick Ngakwe, which I think is kind of an upgrade. They spent a significant amount of money on Kenyon Drake, which I think is a big question mark when Josh Jacobs has played so well pretty much for the entirety of his career. Maybe they're afraid of injury. Uh, which is entirely possible, but I don't know. They've had the best free agency, but definitely not a great one by far. Uh, I think the Broncos picking up Kyle Fuller was huge, but on the other side of that, they, they lost A.J. Bouye and Jarrell Casey. It's just a lot of lateral movement in this division, and when you're in the division with the Chiefs, it had to be an arms race, an absolute just destruction for them to get there. Uh, and that is... That's kind of it. No one, no one's done that. So I think there's no reason to even consider any of these other odds when you just know the Chiefs are great taking the crown once again. Yeah, and it had to be, it had to be an arms race, especially now, if you, if you're of the notion that the Chiefs maybe took a little bit of a step back in free agency, and if that did happen, uh, one of these teams needed to grab the mantle and step up to have a legitimate chance of challenging KC atop the standings, and I just don't think it's going to happen. And I actually agree with you that the Raiders have had the best overall free agency. Uh, I would counter that by saying I think the Chargers have made the, the single best free agent signing, that being Corey Lindsley. I think that he'll have the biggest impact impact out of any signing maybe in this division. Uh, so if you had to rank these teams based on you know what we saw in free agency, I still think it's Chiefs. I would say Raiders, Chargers, maybe 2A, 2B, depending on how you want to bet how you want to divide those teams. And then the Broncos, they were a sleeper team I liked last year to win nine games and maybe sneak into that playoff, sneak into the wild card. But I don't trust Drew Locke. I don't trust Vic Vangio. And I don't think they've done enough in free agency to inspire much, much confidence uh, as things currently stand. I'd absolutely agree with that ranking. I think I ha I've seen online, it's quite popular right now to be taking the Chargers to be the upstart number two in this division. But I don't think there's that much difference between the Chargers and the Raiders. Uh, when you're talking about quarterbacks, I know people are going to point to the Offensive Rookie of the Year and Herbert, but I don't think Carr is not that much better. Uh, and sure, on defense, they've got the advantage, but just uh, I don't know. I, I just don't think the Chargers are going to put it all together. 
uh, and managed to make the distance. So I, I definitely agree with you. Chiefs and then the 2A, 2B. Broncos all the way there at the bottom. And that finishes up the AFC for us. Uh, a few interesting teams to talk about. But I think the most interesting teams uh, do happen to lie themselves in the other conference that is slowly becoming the weaker conference. Uh, we just did talk about a lot of teams that we possibly could make the playoffs. Uh, we talked about three in the NFC North, three in the AFC East, uh, two notable ones in the AFC South that we are questioning one of them. And the AFC West, we just talked about a possible another two. So it, it's insane what's going on in the AFC right now in comparison to what's going on in the shithole that is the NFC. And we're better to talk target. And where better to start talking about shitholes than in the NFC least? Well, the best place to start there is going to be the team that's favored, Frank. And you know I'm excited to talk about Dem Boys, Cowboys, favored currently at plus 120, followed by the football team at plus 275, Giants plus 450, and the Eagles at plus 550. Probably the most notable news coming out of this division has to be the tagging and the, uh, the eventual re-signing of the Dakota, Rain Prescott. He's coming back. We're finally going to watch it. We're going to watch that playoffs. It's not going to be Andy Dalton. We're not talking Red Rock anymore. The Cowboys are back. We'll hope it go. We'll hope that goes well. Football team had themselves a good free agency. Big fan of what the Giants been doing. The Eagles, you're going to have to take that pick because I'm still not a fan of what's going on over there. But if you did have to take a pick in the first division we've talked about all day, aside from the AFC North, that has no clear favorite. Do you have a favorite? Well, it's hard to pick a favorite in this division, uh, especially compared to some other divisions that were that we've talked about and we'll talk about. Um, I get why the Cowboys are the favorite, and of course it's Dak Prescott. But at plus 120, I don't love that number enough, I think, to really put too much stock into it. And I think you're putting a lot of reliance on Dak Prescott returning to full health and full form after a pretty significant ankle injury. as as well as putting a lot of stock into Mike McCarthy as a head coach. And I think the Cowboys have made some good signings in free agency. I mean, re-signing Jordan Lewis, signing Keanu Neal, that will help. But they still had one of the worst defenses in all of football last year. And they're a team, I think, that really needs to have a good draft to address some of their remaining holes on the defensive side of the ball, as well as maybe get younger on the offensive line. But top to bottom, if you're looking at all these rosters side by side, the football team in the Giants, plus 275 and plus 450 respectively, it's kind of the same thing with the AFC East. I think there's a legitimate case that this could end up being a bit of a three-horse race. And I'm going to single out the Eagles as the odd team out, uh, a team that I believed in last year. I liked the year before. And Carson Wentz is gone, and you know I love me some Jalen Hurts, but there's too much bad mojo with this Eagles team that we've seen. And they're going to have a new head coach. It's pretty much a totally new regime, top to bottom. But I don't think it manifests in this division. I think that the Cowboys, Giants, and Washington football team are one, two, and three, uh, maybe in no particular order. And the Eagles are number four. Uh, I'm not sure how you how you see it shaking down uh, one to four if you have a particular ranking in mind. Uh, I do. I am going to still stick with the Cowboys at number one. Uh, I stick with the same belief that I had at the beginning of last year. Maybe not Super Bowl bound, but this is, outside of the Chiefs, the best offense in the NFL. Three top-tier wide receivers, an incredibly talented quarterback, an offensive line that, while old, I absolutely right about that one, and they did just lose Cam Irving, uh, is still a top-ten unit in the league. 
uh, running back in Zeke and now Tony Pollard. I think that is phenomenal. I think it's an offense that you can't count out of a regular season game, but definitely a defense that you can count out of any playoff games. I think I'd still count them as the number one with the team with the easily the highest floor, uh, which is probably around seven or six wins. Uh, whereas the other three teams, uh, I think all have floors around four, but ceilings that are much, 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 much higher. Uh, the Giants, personal favorite, number two. I think they've had the quietest free agency of any New York team in the history of New York teams. That has been incredible. Uh, not only did they get Nate Solder back, who hasn't played a game last season to go along with Andrew Thomas on the left, uh, and, and a few other, and a litany of solid other offensive linemen in a draft that's expected to get them more, uh, picking up John Ross and Kenny Galladay for an already talented offensive uh, weaponry core for Danny Dimes. Uh, obviously, they're going to get Saquon back, hopefully at full strength. Their defense, they've still got Blake Martinez, who led the league in tackles just two years ago. Obviously, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, just James Bradbury. Uh, they just put Jabril Peppers alongside Logan Ryan, Adoree Jackson, who they picked up from the Titans. I think there's a lot of talent on this defense, which doesn't quite put them in football team territory of quality of defense, but definitely a top 15, top 16, top half of the league defense, uh, which if they goes along with the top 16 offense, uh, you had the numbers there, Frank, but I still think the Giants should be number two. Uh, I'll agree with you, Eagles at the bottom floor, not a fan of what they've done, uh, not a fan of what they've added, not a fan of who they have at quarterback, not a fan, just not a fan in general. Uh, that puts the football team in third, though I could see the football team currently at plus 275 uh, overtaking either of the two teams above them. I think that the, the distance between one, two, and three uh, is millimeters, and the distance between three and four is just about a mile. Yeah, I think that's a good way to kind of summarize it, and a and knowing that we're in agreement with the Cowboys being the favorite, which they are at plus 120, it is a little bit surprising that the football team is plus 275 and the Giants are maybe, I think, a little bit too far behind at plus 450. Because to me, these teams are pretty much in the same situation. And I know that Washington won the division last year, but I don't know how much stock you can really put into that. I mean, it was a lost season pretty much for all teams in this division and I mean, if you make the playoffs as a division leader with seven wins, it's impressive, but, you know, how impressive is it? You were just the best of all of the below 500 teams. But back to my the point I was making, the football team and the Giants, uh, you're looking at two top 10 defenses, I think, and two teams that have improved their supporting casts for the quarterbacks this offseason. It really comes down to, again, the quarterback position, and the offensive line in in New York, that's Daniel Jones. And in Washington, that's now Ryan Fitzpatrick slash Taylor Heineke. Or maybe they'll draft somebody. Who knows? But Daniel Jones has been up and down to start his career, to say the least. And Ryan Fitzpatrick has been up and down for his whole entire career. And Fitzpatrick, or Fitzmagic, as we like to call him, has never made the playoffs. And he's been in the league for 18 years now. And maybe this is the year that that trend bucks. Maybe this is the year that Daniel Jones makes everyone a believer. Remains to be seen, but roster-wise, and you mentioned all the moves that the Giants have made and all the moves that Washington has made, I think there's enough there to think that a plus 450 for the Giants, maybe to a lesser extent, plus 275 for Washington, this could be anyone's division. It really could be. Except for the Eagles. Except for the Eagles, absolutely. If you're not a believer in Danny Dimes, go back and watch that Bucks giants game. I, to this day, will go back and say that's that's the game that made me a believer. They should have beat the Super Bowl champions uh, on a last-second play if a wide receiver doesn't just fumble a ball in the end zone. 
Uh, but alas, that is life with Danny Dimes. He, he did ruin their first half by throwing two interceptions following up a sublimely perfect second half. Uh, so we'll see. Maybe that's the story that the Giants season will take next year. Uh, the football team could take a similar path. I do have a little bit more faith in them with Ryan Fitzpatrick, but honestly, I was kind of hoping they'd let Heineke run. I was hoping. I wanted to see a full year of that guy. I hope he's starting at some point. If if the Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, if the trend holds true throughout his entire career, he will not be starting for the entirety of the season. No, but maybe he'll get subbed in in the fourth quarter for some reason. We might expect that at some point. Yeah, he's the closer. You know, he's Mariano Rivera. Yeah, well, hopefully he's that good for the football team. The World Tech of Baseball, will we switch from Mariano to Mariner? Let's talk about Seattle. Uh, Seattle, of course, just won their division most recently, the NFC West, probably football's best division from last year with all of the teams finishing over 500, or at least at 500. Shout out the Cardinals. This year, not an option to go 500, so we'll see how that goes. But the Cardinals are in last place currently in the odds books uh, at plus 500, showing you just how tight this division is. In front of them is the Seahawks, the reigning champs in number three at plus 275. Following them is the 49ers at plus 210. And the Rams, the current leaders, at plus 110 with a bright, shining new quarterback in place. So, Frank, I'll start off with the Rams. Do you think Matt Stafford should make them the favorite? Because they haven't done much else otherwise in free agency. I think so. And, and maybe this is still kind of the, the hype and the lust of the Matt Stafford acquisition. I don't think it's quite worn off yet uh, from a few months ago. Um, but when you, but like you said, aside from adding Matt Stafford, uh, they really haven't done all that much else on the free agent market. And to me, I think the 49ers are actually at plus 210, uh, a slightly better play than the Rams at plus 190. And this will lead me to my larger point that I get it. This is the most closely contested division, both in terms of the odds and, and probably the best overall division in football. But I would be very, very surprised as things currently stand if the Rams or 49ers are not the division champions when it's all said and done. And the Rams, they added Matt Stafford. That gives them an advantage at the quarterback position, probably not the best, the second best quarterback in this division. But some of the losses that they had in free agency, I think, are going to be impactful. I mean, Troy Hill, John Johnson in the secondary, and then a guy like Michael Brockers up front. Maybe they they see a decline. What was maybe the best defense in all of football last year? And I don't know if the offense is going to be able to hold its weight in this division. I know the Rams are going to be really good. I see them as a double-digit win team, really regardless of what happens in the draft. But the 49ers are going to have a lot of guys coming back from injury. I think they've had a better free agency than the Rams. And I think the 49ers are the better play. And the Seahawks, to me, I'll switch it over to you in a sec, but I love Russell Wilson. They deserve the benefit of the doubt sometimes, but there's a lot of bad vibes with this team right now, and too many bad vibes for me to really have any faith that they're looking at another division title. Yeah, uh, I got you on the flip side of that one. I don't love Russell Wilson, and I think that that team is just emanating collapse. I don't know if it's going to happen in season or at the end of next season, but someone between Pete Carroll or Russell Wilson is going to leave in a dramatic fashion, and I don't want to be there when it happens. And that's why uh, a kind of slow and contemptive free agency is not the way they should have gone. I think if you're Pete Carroll, you're either trying to placate your star top five quarterback, or if you're Russell Wilson, you're trying to stay loud and talk about players you want to get. For instance, the Antonio Brown case, but 
I think this very much could end up being a quiet free agency once again from the Seahawks, where all they do is replace maybe one offensive lineman, which they did. They picked up Gabe Jackson from the Raiders, which is a good addition, but when you need about four replacements and they're likely going to draft one in the first or second round, you're just doing what you've been doing the whole decade. And sure, that's gotten you one Super Bowl ring, but you also had the best defense in football. But what do you have now? You've got Bobby Wagner, sure, he's getting up there in age. You're losing KJ Wright because he's apparently not taking a hometown discount. Your cornerbacks aren't great. You just lost Shaquem Barrett. I just, I don't know where the faith is for the Seahawks to continue being the team that they are right now. And I'm a little bit surprised, honestly, uh, that they didn't trade away Russ because this seemed like the exit point. This this is the point in the highway where he was just an MVP contender, probably get multiple first uh, first round well, picks. Well, for you him. just want you uh, wanted him to go to the Bears, so let's get that on the record. That's why that's part of the reason why you're saying that. That is part of the reason, but I think also logically, like if you look at this year down the road in three years, when probably both Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson are no longer uh, on the Seahawks payroll. I think you'll look back on this and say this this was the year that if they had blown it up, they'd be in a better situation three years from now than they are doing what they're doing right now. That's just a personal opinion. Obviously, you're right. Absolutely biased. I wanted to see him uh, in navy and orange, but uh, we'll see him again in, in bright neon green for another season, possibly another yeah, one. Well, that. to that point, Rodham, and, and before you move on to your spiel about the other teams, I think you have to think that Pete Carroll is the one calling the shots uh, as it comes to as it pertains to Russell Wilson because – you know, Pete Carroll, he's he's going to be 70 years old in September. And a guy like him, kind of a hard-nosed culture first guy, I don't think he's somebody who would want to start a full-on rebuild when realistically he, he probably only has three, four, five, six at most more years of coaching. And maybe that has, maybe that's part of the reason why the relationship between him and Russell is so strained because Russell won maybe Russell really does want out, but Pete Carroll just won't let it happen. It's, it's interesting dynamic, but not a good one for Seattle. Absolutely, and uh, the fact that he's got all the hiring and firing power uh, for that team rather than the GM, it just kind of contested. I think uh, I, one of the biggest storylines I'm looking for the rest of free agency between now and the draft is where is AB going to go. And not really because I care about what's going to happen to AB, but is it going to be the Seahawks? And what's Russell Wilson's response to that? Uh, and, and I think the Seahawks are, are just the drama of this division, and that's a big reason why they're plus 275. I think the question mark there is keeping them in third. Uh, just out of reach between the Rams and the 49ers, two teams that are actually worth talking about. So, Frank, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk about them. I disagree with you. I absolutely think the Rams still should be the favorite. And, and while you're losing great players, I think the two that are losing to Cleveland and Troy Hill and John Johnson are, are gigantic blows. Uh, they're still keeping Darius Williams, who, uh, who had one of the biggest breakout seasons uh, of any cornerback last year. I think he is going to be a very confident number two across from Jalen Ramsey. And we're talking about Ramsey. Let's not forget that they already have the number one cornerback and the number one defender in general on their team in Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald still there. And that's why I kind of buy it. I kind of buy believing you don't need to be paying a guy like Michael Brockers $10 million a year when you can get a guy off the street to go just go one-on-one with a defensive lineman because you're getting triple, double teams every day against Aaron Donald, and he's still winning defensive player of the year. I think it, it's an understandable move to believe that you can put any rookie or any mediocrely talented veteran just there and get the same production you were getting at Brockers. Cornerback and safety? I don't know about all that. I think John Johnson's a gigantic loss. But other than that, the huge upgrade at quarterback and just the overall mentality that comes with Sean McVay, I don't think that the Niners are going to get particularly close. I think it'll be fun competition to watch as the Rams win 12 and the 49ers win 10 or something to that degree. 
But uh, I do think that the Rams are plus 190, despite having the worst value. I think it's going to happen. Yeah, and it certainly could. I mean, there's a reason why they're favorited. And I'm not outright discrediting them. I mean, top to bottom, you can say they have the best roster in this division. The point I was making is just there's not much separating plus 190 and plus 210. But I like the vibe with the 49ers right now. I mean, like I said, they're, <laughs> they're getting all those guys back from injury. And the biggest wild card is what they're going to do at quarterback. And we don't have to get into it too much, but, you know, they did just trade for the number three overall pick in the draft. And if you give, if you give me this 49ers team with a quarterback like Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, who can do more on the field than Jimmy Garoppolo with Kyle Shanahan calling the shots, that's a recipe for excitement and success, I think. And the last point, I think the team we haven't talked about, which is the Cardinals. Obviously, the biggest wild card in this division. I mean, at plus 500, they can make some noise. I mean, they've made some moves in free agency. J.J. Watt, Rodney Hudson, uh, two, two Pro Bowl caliber players, even though they're a little bit past their prime. But with when you have Cliff Kingsbury, who's easily far and away the worst, the worst coach in this division, one of the worst coaches in the NFL, frankly, that just puts you behind the eight ball, and you can't afford to have bad coaching in this division. And it was their downfall last year. And I don't see it changing again this year. So I would not touch the Cardinals at plus 500, uh, despite the fact that I do like Kyler Murray and some of their other players. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm surprised to hear you say that because you were big on the Cardinals last year, even predicting Kyler Murray as your workhorse MVP candidate. Out on the ship? Okay, I get that. And also, uh, let's let, let the people not think that we're just hating on, on Cliff Kingsbury. And he had some pretty bad and, and historically awful uh, coaching decisions. He was a rookie head coach, and so maybe he'll have another better season. But it, I think I don't know if you can uh, you know disagree. If it's not the same. I think the problem with Cliff Kingsbury is that he's not currently a top half of the league coach. When the other three coaches in their division are probably three of the top five coaches in the NFL, outside of probably Bill Belichick and you know wherever you sprinkle in Harbaugh and Tomlin, but. I mean, McVay, Shanahan, and Pete Carroll are revolutionary offensive and defensive minds in the NFL, and Cliff Kingsbury is running screens 70% of a game. So, I don't know. I, I think that the hatred that we have towards him, or at least the disdain that we have towards him, is more relative in the division rather than how bad of a coach right. he is. But he is, let's not forget, historically, one of the worst decision makers in the history of the Right, NFL. and it's, again, I mean, I think that's that's well said. It's not a hatred for him, but it matters uh, in com- how good you are of a coach in comparison to your peers matters. And when you're playing the Seahawks, Rams, and 49ers twice a year, you know, you got to win those games. And you have to be able to to get into a chess match, per se, with some of these coaches and hold your own. And I don't think we've seen anything from Mr. Cliff uh, that would inspire confidence that the Cardinals can, can thrive in this division. And it's going to hurt them down the stretch, obviously. Yeah, uh, not to harp also on, on this team once again, and I know we, we're going hard on them. Uh, let's not also forget that they lost that playoff spot to the Bears. Oh, look at that. Guess who we're talking about? It's the Bears. Uh, I got a surprise pick for you here later for the Bears as we go to them, uh, but they are not favored as, God, they should not be. It's, of course, the Packers, two-time NFC Conference participants because they still have yet to win one. In a long time, Packers at minus 230. They're in front of the Vikings at plus 350. A wide gap follows them with the Bears at plus 550. And following that is the worst odds to win any division in any football conference. It's the Lions at plus 3,600. Before we talk about any good teams, Frank, Lions, biggest long shot in any division. How 
good of odds do you think you would need to put money down on the Lions right now? I don't know if I want to put a number on it, but you'd have to be offering me a, a lot of zeros, a lot, a lot of zeros. And even then, uh, you have to keep adding on zeros, and you still might not get to a scenario where I would uh, put put the Lions anywhere near uh, my financial interest. I was thinking six digits, but I might have to go even bigger than that. Uh, so let's move it over to the other three teams, or at least the other two. Packers won the division a few times for the last few years. Uh, Vikings and Bears, are they 1A, 1B? Are they 2A, 2B? Are they 2 and 3? How do you rank those two teams? To be quite honest, uh, I don't really know. And to be even more quite honest, I don't really care. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be harsh on the Vikings or on the Bears, but to me, this is just the Packers division to lose. And it's not a division that I envision them losing. I mean, they've had the quietest free agency out of any team in this division. And I don't think it matters. And the Vikings and Bears, they've made some signings. They can still improve in the draft, but regardless of really what happens, uh, the Packers are the class of this division. Until further notice, and to answer your question between the Vikings and Bears, uh, I would favor the Vikings a little bit more. I can't see the Bears being substantially better than the Vikings for two years in a row. just feels like this division is constantly in a flux after the Packers. I could see Minnesota maybe having a, a bounce-back year, but I could also see them maybe bottoming, bottoming out and heading towards a rebuild. Uh, but as it pertains to the Bears, I don't really see them being all that hot regardless of what happens in the draft or in the remaining free agency. Uh, I don't know if that's a direct answer to your question, but it's go pack go in the NFC North and then it's everyone else. And then the lions, it's a Packers and lions sandwich with the Vikings and bears in between. It's just your preference as to whether you like the Vikings or the bears on top of the sandwich. Mm. It's a, uh, it's the classic question of do you put the cheese on top of the meat or the meat on top of the cheese? Right. And either way, this this isn't a sandwich that I want. Not a fan. Well, uh, per usual with this division, Frank, I'm going to have to disagree with you. Uh, this is a sandwich I'm very excited to eat, uh, and I'm hoping the Packers will not be the bread. Uh, the Packers, you, you kind of alluded to it, but they haven't had not a quiet free agency. They've had an awful free agency. Uh, their big signing, of course, was Aaron Jones, about $12 million a year. Um, we can keep our, our thoughts on re-signing running backs to a second contract private. I know one of us has... Pretty fiery thoughts on that. Uh, I, I, for a long time, thought that last year's draft was going to be vindicated by A.J. Dillon being great this year after they let Aaron Jones go. Uh, but they've officially turned last year's first three picks, a backup quarterback and a backup running back and a third-string tight end slash the second-string fullback. Um, it, it is just about as horrific of a draft as you can think of, which doesn't bode well for the fact that they haven't had a free agency. And they're kind of putting all their eggs in the basket, saying that we're going to get better through the draft which they haven't done since about 2016 when they drafted Ha-Ha Dicks. Since Vietnam. Since Vince Lombardi, they haven't really been building to the draft, and this is a team that's usually known for it. I mean, guys like Clay Matthews, Aaron Rodgers, obviously, Brett Favre, all of the great Packers were drafted by the Packers outside of Reggie White. Uh, so it's weird for this team to be the guys that are not currently doing so well. So I don't think the Packers are getting any better. Are they getting worse? I can't say that they are. You know, Corey Lindsley, big loss. I think they should have spent that $12 million from Aaron Rod- from Aaron Jones to be paying Lindsley. You make decisions. you got to live with them. Uh, but inside of that, we got to talk about the two teams we're alluding to, the Vikings and the Bears, who did have good free agencies. Uh, the Vikings, our current fan favorite team, they picked up Dalvin Tomlinson from the Giants, who has had double-digit sack seasons two out of the last three years. 
Uh, on top of that, he replaces a, a pretty big hole left by Linval Joseph, and I think that that's going to be big because that defensive line was just absolutely putrid to watch last year. Uh, it was fun to see Yannick Ngakwe every once in a while, uh, but when he was gone and went the other version of Purple, uh, it, it kind of became sad. So now that they've gotten him onto the roster, I think it's going to be great to get to Daniil Hunter, who was out all of last season, is easily their number one defensive player. Uh, he was close to leading the league in sacks uh, the last time we saw him out on the field. And I'm hoping, and I'm sure all Vikings fans are hoping, that he's going to be back to that top quality. Next to him is going to be Amon Watts, who is one of last year's breakout players. Anthony Barr is going to be back. Eric Kendricks next to him. Pat Pete is now in there, which might be great if you're 2016, but I don't know how talented he's going to be in 2021. Uh, and next to that, they have young guys who've developed incredibly well in Cameron Dantzler and Jeff Gladney. Sure, not the most talented defense, but definitely a very promising one that I think could lead them. And that's all a prelude to the fact that they have one of your favorite running backs and some people's number one running back in the NFL, Dalvin Cook, next to Kirk Cousins, who, no matter how much you dislike him or like him, is a top 16 quarterback in the NFL, along with a great wide receiver core in Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and a top 10 NFL draft pick. I think this team could easily be in competition for the division. I don't think they have the... They don't have the floor that probably warrants taking them there. Uh, they could easily be, like you said, a bottoming-out five-win team. But on the other hand, I think this team could go all the way into double digits. Winning the division is a push. I think it's going to take a stumble from the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but I think it totally could happen for the Vikings. As for the Bears, I feel like I've already kept this rant long, so I'll make it pretty concise with the Bears. They've done nothing of note except for get rid of Mitch Trubisky and put in Andy Dalton. As much as I tried to pretend last year that I liked Andy Dalton, I don't like Andy Dalton, and I'm not looking forward to watching a season of it. So uh, we'll see if, if Bears' love will continue this season. I mean, yeah, I get it. The Vikings have had a good free agency, and the Bears have done some things as well. But I'll wait and see, I guess, what happens in the draft. Uh, I just don't I just don't see it manifesting that either of these teams uh, have a legitimate shot to catch the Packers. Uh, for number one in the standings in plus 350 in Minnesota, it's not quite enough of a fruitful number for me, but too much stock into it. But again, maybe they have some more moves up their sleeve. Maybe the Packers really take a legitimate step back. Uh, it's all wait and see, I think, with this division. But, uh, as it currently stands, it's, uh, it's currently stands, uh, call me a cheesehead for the time being. Yeah, well, I'll be yelling skull until uh, we'll see what happens with the Bears. But uh, wait and see is a pretty good description for this division, but I think it actually is a better description for the next division, uh, which has us asking quite a lot of questions, and that is, of course, the current reigning Super Bowl champion home, the NFC South, the home of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, still Tampa Bay. We won't forget. That's the one nickname I'll leave in. The Raiders may have disappointed me, but by God, we still have Tampa Bay. A Tampa Bay team who has pretty much just run it back. Tom Brady, Devonta David, Shaq Barrett, Rob Gronkowski, Chris Godwin, Ryan Suckup, and of course, the loved Kevin Minter is coming back in our, and are all re-signed with the Super Bowl champions, hoping to bring it back. Not many losses, so it looks like Tampa Bay is running it back at minus 160. Behind them, the Saints at plus 245, now minus Drew Brees. Panthers, plus 850. That's your team. I know. I'm excited to hear what your take is on that one. And the Falcons, bottom of the division at plus 1,000, now have Arthur Smith, who did just vaunt for quite a while, but not much else working their way. Bucks repeat? They didn't They didn't even win the division last year. Do you think they will this year? Because Vegas or seems to think, though. I think they should be considered the favorite, obviously. Uh, they have the best roster overall, maybe in the entire NFL, if you want to say. I mean, that's the reason that they won the Super Bowl, of course, but you know, talent doesn't always equal division chip, 
division titles. And every year, uh, there's always a surprise team. Or there, there's always a, kind of a big surprise that no one really expects where a team you thought would win the division doesn't win the division. And a team that really wasn't on anyone's radar kind of sneaks in and catches everyone's by surprise. And I'm going to say that the Panthers, at plus 850, I think have a legitimate chance to be that team. And I know the Buccaneers brought everyone back. The Saints have signed and re-signed some people of note, but I think the Panthers have had the best free agency of any team in this division. And they were a five-win team last year, but I think as things currently stand, based on what they've done in free agency, they're going to win at least a few more games than they did last year. And looking at the players that they signed, David Moore at wide receiver, Cam Irving and Pat Eiflin on the offensive line, Hassan Reddick, Denzel Perryman at linebacker, and Rashawn, Elvin, Rashawn Melvin at cornerback, you're looking at five to six new starters there. And five to six new starters that I think are going to play well. And last year, we know in the draft, they went extremely heavy on defense. They have a load of talent on that side of the ball. It really just comes down to what are they going to get out of the quarterback position. But I think the Panthers are going into the draft in a situation where they don't really have all that many holes to fill which is not something you usually say about a five a team that won five games last year. And I know we can talk about the Bucks, Saints, and Falcons all we want, Ronan, but I want to get your take on the Panthers because last year, you know I was a fan of them. But this year, I like them even more than I did last year. And I'm curious uh, if you think I'm crazy or if there's any merit to the madness that I'm spewing at this current moment. No, I'm, I'm on the train. I'm on the train for the Panthers' pride. Uh, I'm, I'm beating that drum. And, and the crazy thing about it, I think, is it's not overnight that this team came together. I think we were just – I was just talking about the Packers and how bad they've been at drafting. Quietly, Carolina, great at drafting. I think, obviously, they, they knocked it out of the park in 2020. Uh, Derek Brown, Yutur Grossmatos, one of your favorite players. Uh, Jeremy Chin, who I think surprised many people. Obviously, that one game where he scored touchdowns on back-to-back plays as a defender is still easily one of the most impressive things we've seen. On top of that, Brian Burns, uh, Christian Miller, DJ Moore, Rashawn Godwin, uh, Christian McCaffrey, obviously, Curtis Samuel, who obviously just left, uh, Corn Elder out of Miami, who's now a starting number one quarterback. It's been impressive. Uh, honestly, I, I don't think that this Panthers front office gets enough credit for how talented of a team they built. And like you said, despite winning five games, that depth and that great four-year stretch of drafting is, is what puts them in a position this year to not have a lot of needs which kind of goes hand-in-hand with winning not a lot of games because they're still picking at eight this year. And and sure, eight might not give you the greatest talents in the world, but it still is going to give you something good to put on your team. And and when you believe in Teddy Bridgewater, as as you do, this can't not be viewed as a potential playoff team. I think that, like the Giants and the football team that we had talked about previously, they've got a good defense that should be top half of the league, potentially even top ten. They've got offensive line and weapons, like the football team and the Niners like the football team and the Giants, I think this team fits right into that category of does this quarterback take them all the way? All the way is very different for them, of course, when the other two teams I mentioned could win a division, whereas the Panthers need an absolutely amazing season out of Bridgewater to even sniff the division compared to the Saints. But I, I see it. If, you, if you're really buying into Teddy Bridgewater, which, again, you obviously are, a fifty is insane value. Now, if you're thinking Teddy Bridgewater is having an all-right season or maybe a 20th quarterback in the league kind of season, 
I don't buy it. I think maybe this is a seven-win team that gets a new quarterback next year and propels itself further. But I don't know. If you've got two gloves on and you believe in them, Panthers, that's got to be the right play. Yeah, I mean, out of any team uh, that's plus 850 or higher to win the division, uh, the Panthers, I think, are the best play. And it's weird to say that because they're in a division with two teams that made the playoffs last year and one team that won the Super Bowl. But, you know, sometimes, again, things come together in ways that nobody really expected. And it's way early to speculate, really, on whether or not that could happen with this Panthers team. But stranger things have happened. And you mentioned Teddy Bridgewater, but of course there's always a chance that the Panthers are playing somebody else at quarterback next year. I mean, they have a top 10 pick at the draft that they could use to pick somebody if they wanted to, or maybe using a trade package. They have been sniffing around in the Deshaun walk in the Deshaun Watson market, but either way you look at it, I think the Panthers are a sneaky sleeper in this division. Uh, but the team we didn't really talk about is the Saints, and I'm curious what you think about them, because at plus 245, I mean, this is the Saints team that's won the division for three, four years in a row, maybe even five. I mean, I don't have it in front of me at the moment, and I think the argument for the Saints would be they, they have the winning culture in place. They have maybe the best head coach in this division. And if you think Drew Brees was kind of holding them back over the past two years as opposed to propelling them forward, you could say that James Winston is more versatile, I guess, in the sense that he can do more as a thrower than Drew Brees could over the past two seasons. You're also, but you're then, also jumping the gun to saying James Winston's starting over Taysom Hill. Right. I mean, that's a good point. It, that's the quarterback competition. I mean, it's going to be James versus Taysom. Uh, and if you're a Taysom fan, I mean, maybe you think that you can do more with Taysom than you could with Drew Brees. But I don't know. I think the Panthers are plus 850 compared to the Saints at plus 245. To me, it's clear where the better value is there. And, and I think that you could see a scenario where the Bucks are a 10-win team. The Saints are an 8- or 9-win team. And maybe the Panthers are in that mix as well. With the Falcons, I guess as the odd team out, unless you see the Falcons as a sleeper as well. No, I think the Falcons are are one of this year's most doomed teams uh, throughout the NFL just because they really don't have any direction. I think Arthur Smith's going to be a good culture guy, but I don't know how much wheels left in that offense when a defense just isn't present on the other side of the field. Uh, and so I think the Falcons can easily be knocked out of this race, and I'm surprised that Vegas sees them at so close to competition at plus 1,000. Uh, for the Saints, I think I'm going to give them the, the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to have any takes on whether they're doing well or bad. Personally, I think the defense isn't going to be as good because Trey Hendrickson and Sheldon Rankins provided one of the league's best pass rushes with not any notable names. Um, so I think those are those are pretty big losses. I'm surprised Hendrickson didn't stay. He was supposedly given quite a lot of money, but Cincinnati beat the offer. Uh, and so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. You were talking about it for Seattle uh, the, earlier. When you've got a talented coach, when you've got quarterback talent and, and offensive weapons, you just kind of got to believe that something's going to happen. I, I just don't know. And a winning, a winning culture as well. And a winning culture, which obviously them in Seattle has a better combination. I think they're comparable, and I think they could do well. I just don't know if it's going to be – I just don't know if it's going to be enough. And I want to I'm wait and see. I think this isn't a do-or-die year for the Saints. I just feel like I, I was expecting, after years of knowing that Drew Brees is going to retire one day, I'm surprised that we're here with the Saints kind of not knowing where the future is going with them as a franchise. It feels a little bit weird to me. There's no Andrew Luck in place behind Peyton. You know, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, it is a little bit weird. And it's also weird because if you had said a few years ago that Drew Brees is retiring, you would say, oh, okay, well, the Saints are going to take a step back and they're due for a bit of a restart. But then if you watched the Saints in the playoff last year, you would have told yourself, man, if they had anybody else playing, if they had somebody else playing quarterback right now, they would be doing a lot better. Because frankly, Drew Brees, as much as I love him and everyone loves him, he was kind of holding the Saints back with, with his inability to make the throws that he used to be and his inability to move outside of the pocket, which is why I said, you know, there's an argument to be made that with somebody more mobile like Taysom Hill or with somebody with a stronger arm like James Winston, you know, if you believe in Sean Payton's ability to push all the right buttons, regardless of who's under center, uh, I mean, there is value at plus 245 if you think those things will come together. Uh, in that sort of way. But there's a lot of question marks uh, with the Saints, more so especially than the Buccaneers, of course. Yeah, and I think they were with the one team we didn't specifically talk about. And the Buccaneers, I mean, they're they're the Buccaneers. They're the reigning Super Bowl champions. It's Tom Brady. Is I mean, there's no reason to doubt them, but I don't think that until we get to the point when they're almost losing games to the Giants and the Bears and getting their, their butts whooped by a divisional foe, there's just no reason to even, to even talk about them unless they make some crazy moves in the draft because we know what this team is. It's Tom Brady, a bunch of really talented receivers, an amazing defense, and uh, Bruce Arians wearing a nice hat. Yeah, the flat cap, Bruce Arians, the man. And I'd add to that a great offensive line and a terrific defense. Again, I think probably the best roster top to bottom in the entire NFL. And you got to think, you know, the Buccaneers, they won 11 games last year, but throughout that whole regular season, they were kind of just feeling each other out. I mean, they really had no chemistry up until the, the latter half of the season, which is when they went on that that terrific run to end the year. So I can't imagine they don't hit the ground running entering the season. So, I mean, at, at minus 160 for the Buccaneers, you look at another team over in the AFC like Buffalo, who is also around that minus 150, minus 160 range. It's kind of funny because the Buccaneers, I think, are in a much better position to win this division than a team like Buffalo is, uh, and yet they have the same exact odds. Yeah, I feel like these odds are are kind of weird. I feel like usually, you know, Vegas really does a pretty comprehensive job, but these numbers, well, you know, they just don't add up. So uh, we'll have to see how that breaks down. I think I, I'm incredibly excited and, and, and so happy to be the fact that this is our first of many, many NFL previews as the season comes closer to us. Uh, the NFL. Well, what you're what you're saying, Rodham, it, it sounds like you're saying the numbers aren't crunching, and if that's the case, we got to get somebody to crunch them. We got to get. We can't have un, can't have uncrunched numbers. Can't have uncrunched numbers. You know, we we like a little uh like no no crunch to our pop. All smooth. All about that smooth uh smooth numbers. Uh, maybe we'll get an algorithm to do it. We never know. You never know. But if you were to looking for someone to crunch those numbers for you, uh, we probably won't be doing it. But you could look on our Twitter and on our Instagram, both at PlayItPod. Maybe I'll be adding one plus one equals two on my Twitter at Rodham Kaufman. And Frank, if the people were looking for you to crunch some numbers for them, where could they go? They could also go to Twitter and find me at FrankJP0. And, you know, some more NFL content in the future. We'll have a mock draft in a few weeks. Excited for the draft about a month out. And then after that, we'll have a, a post-draft uh, version of the same episode with updated odds and futures uh, after all the teams have made their moves in the draft. But until then, Rotom, happy Passover, happy Palm Sunday, happy Easter, happy April Fool's Day, all that good stuff, and best wishes to you and to everyone.
and happy tax day in a few weeks. Happy tax day. That's the most important one on the list, but absolutely right. We'll see you next week.